All right, well, we are finishing up the book of Luke today. It's been a year and a half in this amazing book on the life of Jesus from Nazareth. It's just been so, so good, and I've just absolutely loved every single minute of it. And so would you turn with me one last time in this series to the book of Luke, chapter 24. We'll be in 50 through 53 this morning, the final four, the final four, 50 through 53 of Luke 24. If you need a Bible, we have some around the room. And if you don't have one at home, please just take that home. It's our gift to you, and we'd love for you to take that and break it in. So while you're turning there, uh, Luke 24, I'll tell you, it happened to me a few weeks ago. It happened the day that you realize I am my parents. Oh, it was awful. I was sitting at a cafe, I was writing a sermon. And uh, I was there really early, and it was just me and the guy behind the, the counter at the cafe, and he was blasting the best playlist that I had heard in years. It was all 1990s alternative music, and I loved it. Matchbox 20, Third Eye Blind, Pearl Jam, Semisonic. For those of you guys who are looking at me with blank stares, you're on either side of that decade. But I was, I was loving it. And uh, I looked at the guy behind the, the counter there, and he's just you know, doing his thing with a little bit of extra pizzazz. He's got the, the umph behind him. And I'm, I'm, I'm writing, kind of head bobbing. Noticed a couple times. I'm, good thing I'm the only guy in here. And uh, then we, one time we even made eye contact. Said, yeah, yeah, that's good. We like this, yeah. And so we were about the same age, I could tell. And uh, and then it, then it happened. It, it, it hit me in my head. I said, in my head, something to the effect of, now this is real music. This is back when they made music that was good. And it was like, as it was rolling through my brain, just flashback to my childhood, sitting in the back seat of my dad's car, and he's drumming on a steering wheel, and he goes, this is good music, 1970s rock. And I just, I tore my clothes right there in the coffee shop. No! <laughs> It was that feeling, no, I'm my father, it's awful. You know the moment, brace yourself, Lion King, circle of life, it's coming. So, one of the songs on the playlist that brought me back, I mean way back, was this song from this band, Semisonic. It was Grammy-nominated Song of the Year, and it was the song, Closing Time. Anybody? There you go, sing it. All right, that's good. Closing time. See, I worked at this racetrack when I was a teenager, my, my upper teenage years. My friend's dad owned this racetrack. It was a drag strip, an eighth of a mile. And so they drag race cars down it. And I did every job in the, the thing there. And, and what we would do is we'd close it up and send everybody home. And then we would blast through the PA for that one year. Closing time. Right, we just rock out to that song. And the, the, the key line of that song is, Closing time, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. And that's where we're at today in the book of Luke. It's an end that actually leads to an even greater beginning. And so I'm calling this sermon, The End and the Beginning. The End and the Beginning. So these chapters... So we think about chapters in, in our own lives. They, they close. And you know when it's, it's kind of painful, a chapter, a season closes in your life. But you also know you get to enter into a new season. And so you've kind of been there. The bittersweet. Things are closing, but beautiful opportunities are coming. You remember Toy Story? When Toy Story was over and you're crying. But Toy Story led to Toy Story 2. 
And then you cried at the end of Toy Story 2, and it led to Toy Story 3, and then Toy Story 3, I cried more than any of the other Toy Stories. But rumor has it, the rumor mill is that they might have uh, even a Toy Story 4. So one chapter closes, another chapter opens. Read with me Luke chapter 24, and we'll close this thing out, 50 through 53. It says, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The end. But every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. And so here's the end. Before a really beautiful, powerful new beginning. What happens is the formerly dead, now alive, Jesus from Nazareth brings his disciples to Bethany. It's this mountain town where the Mount of Olives is. And and he's talking with them and spending time with them. And they're wild at this fact that Jesus is alive. And it says that, that he blesses them, which is a declaration of God's grace on them. And he blesses them. And then as he raises his hands and, and blesses them, he's carried up into heaven. He ascends. This is known as the ascension of Jesus into the sky. We'll later read elsewhere that, that clouds will cover him up and, and he's gone. And he says later, I, I'm going to go or come back the same way I, I left. He, he's carried up into the sky. And, and throughout the book of Luke, Luke has recorded some really interesting things like this, this incredible life of Jesus started with the incredible birth of Jesus, this miraculous virgin birth that moves then into him growing up and the astonishing teachings of Jesus, then the jaw-dropping miracles of, of Jesus, and then the unprecedented love that he shows to the marginalized. Just incredible, the stuff that we've learned throughout the book of Luke. Yet, in the last two chapters of, of Luke, Luke records the brutal death of Jesus on the cross by people who were threatened by him and his power and his authority and the attention that he was getting. And then we see he was, he was killed upon the cross. And, and when he was killed upon the cross, in so many ways, it strangely mirrored the Old Testament Jewish sacrificial system as if he was like maybe the the last and and final perfect sacrifice or something, right? Maybe he was. And Luke records that he was then buried in a tomb of a man named Joseph of of Arimathea. Now, did you you hear that? He was buried in the tomb and we have the name of the man whose tomb he was buried in. If you look back to to chapter 23 verse 50, his name is Joseph of Arimathea. It says that he's a member of the council. It says that he will go on and get permission from Pilate who's the Roman governor over Judea. And, And so Luke just gave his readers a name, a documented position, a government decree that he could take him off the cross, prepare his body, and then bury him, Pilate's permission. And so for those readers, what Luke is saying is he's saying, go corroborate these details, these, these facts, these names, this position, this decree that I'm telling you. Check it out. There was actually a man, Jesus of Nazareth, who did in, in, in fact die. He was placed in a, a real tomb of a real man. It, it really happened. And then Luke goes on and he says crazy things started to happen after that. It, w- it was wild. Three days later, people started to say he's alive again. He, he, he came back to life and he appeared to people over and over and over and over again. Lots of people, hundreds of people. And, and so usually when we think about religion, 
in our society today, we, we like to say, okay, if I'm going to subscribe to this religion, what does it say? Do I like what it says? Is it helpful for me? But listen, for Christianity, we ask, did Jesus really die and come back to life? And if so, he can say whatever he wants to say, and I'm going to listen. So your obedience to God is never, do I like what he says? Your obedience to God is never, do I agree with his plans for my life? Your obedience to God is always, did a man come claiming that he would die and raise three days later, and then in fact die the way he said he was going to die, and then come back three days later and appear for people? Did that happen? And if so, he says what he wants to say, and I listen. He says what he wants to say, and I listen. Now, since we're at the end, I think we need to think all the way back to the very beginning of this book of Luke for just a minute. And in the intro of Luke, we we see that Luke was commissioned, funded by a prominent man, most excellent Theophilus. That title tells us that he was somebody, a man of position, a man of power, a man of means. And he was commissioned by him to, to go then and investigate this life of this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. Because this Theophilus heard about this Jesus of Nazareth and the claims that he had died and was buried and came back to life. And, and, and Luke says, I'm doing this so that you, Theophilus, may have certainty about this Jesus. And so Luke followed credible, historically verifiable accounts to come up with the truth of the life, of the, the, the message and the mission of this Jesus from Nazareth. And so what he would do is he interviewed eyewitnesses. He compiled already recorded accounts. He, he scoured through documents. And, and Luke, a very brilliant man, he was a doctor. He was a historian. He was very skilled in the Greek language. He, he compiled this account, the gospel according to Luke. Now check out After all of that, check out how he concludes this book, which was set out for the explicit purpose of proving the divinity of Jesus. Last two verses, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So Luke, we've seen the beginning, back to the end, Luke concludes with they worshipped him. Do you worship a good friend of yours? No matter how awesome they are, do you worship them? No. Do you worship a really gifted teacher? No. Do you worship somebody who's really good at loving other people and the way they've taught you how to love when it's hard to love? Do you worship them? No. You worship God. There are four occasions in the book of Luke where we get the word worship. I think Luke was very mindful of where he puts the word worship in. In Luke chapter 2, verse 27, there's an old widow named Anna. She's at the very beginning of the life of Jesus. And Jesus is brought to the, to, to the temple to be, to be uh, commissioned. And, and, and his mom and dad are saying, we're, we're, we're dedicating to, to raise him in the Lord. And, and, and says she's worshiping God. She's worshiping God as she's waiting for the redemption of Israel. The irony is that he's right there. Then in Luke chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus' great temptation in the wilderness before going uh, to begin his ministry. And he's in the wilderness, and Satan himself says, why don't you worship me, Jesus? That's number two. The third time is the very next verse. Jesus will then respond to Satan, and he says, no, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. And then the fourth time we get the word worship in the book is here in 24, 52. They worshiped. Jesus. They worshiped the one who himself said, you only worship God and him 
only. And so Luke is concluding for Theophilus, who he opened with, I'm doing this so that you may have certainty. He's concluding and saying, they worshiped him as God. There's your certainty. I've proven it. He is God. Drop the mic. I'm out of here. Until Acts chapter 1. Hello, it's me again. Acts chapter 1, 1 says, In the first book, O Theophilus, talking about Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. What's the first book? It's Luke. And he says, now here's part two. That's what Acts is, is part two. So if you're loving this, you're loving this writing style, keep going, jump into the book of Acts. But here's the word that's just been blowing my mind all week long as I've been studying and preparing. In the first book, O Theophilus, in Luke, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Began? No, 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 no. Luke, you, you got it all wrong. You must, you must have made a mistake because we've, we've finished the life of Jesus. He hung on the cross, and, and even on the cross, he himself said, it is finished. What's finished? The song that we sing around here quite a bit, It Is Finished, goes like that. It says, it is finished. He has done it. Let your weary heart rejoice. Our redemption is accomplished. Raise a shout with ragged voice. So what's finished? Our redemption is finished. Our being restored to right relationship with God. That's finished. He's made the way. That is finished. It's finished. However, do you think God is finished with displaying his power? Absolutely not. It's just the beginning. Closing time, right? But this beginnings and leads to a new beginning. In verse 49 of, of Luke chapter 24, Luke records the last words of Jesus in this book. And he said, here's what Jesus said. He said, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then those final four verses from the book of Luke. Seal it up for Theophilus. Jesus is, in fact, God. He is to be worshipped. And now those final four verses really are just the cliff note version of what actually happened. There's more detail in the first few verses of the book of Acts. And so in Acts 1-1, Luke says, my first book, Jesus was just getting started. But in this book and beyond, power. And he goes on to record the ascension of Jesus in more detail. And one of the details that he gives us is the content of that blessing when he blesses them as he's carried away. And the content of that blessing in Luke chapter, or Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you may know it. He says this, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will have power for witness in Boston, in New England, in America, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And that power comes from where? comes from God's Spirit. God the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We have God the Father who sends Jesus into the world to, to make a way for redemption, to restore us to right relationship. And then Jesus says, and I'm sending out, I have a promise for you, and that is the Spirit of God, the, the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, mind-blowing reality. 
God's Spirit comes on us and empowers us to live a life of witness. To live a life of, of witness. So to illustrate this, I brought along a, a light bulb. I did this illustration with some kids. And you don't mind if I treat you like kids for a little while, right? Sometimes it's helpful. It keeps our attention. did this with some kids recently in our connection group. And um, it's a really cool light bulb, isn't it? It's a vintage light bulb. That's what the packaging said. Vintage. It's got these really fine, cool-looking filaments in here. And when I go home today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it up on my mantle because it's so cool-looking. Let everybody check it out. That's stupid, right? Why would you do that? No. Don't put it on your mantle. It's a light bulb. It's made to, to shine. It's supposed to shine. And similarly, you're a human being. You're not to just be sat there and, and in and of yourself just function and just, just sit. No, you're, you're made for something greater than what you see here. You're made to, to, to shine. God's saying, hello, you're a human. I've made you for a, a purpose. The Bible tells us that in him we live and we move and we, we have our, our, our being. And so let me, let me do this. I'm going to take this here and screw it in. What God did in the book of, of Genesis, the very beginning, and maybe you're familiar with it, what God did is, is he made man and woman, and he made them in his image, and he, he fashions us with his hands. And the scriptures will tell us that upon fashioning us with his hands, he, he then takes us and, and he, he, he breathes into us the breath of life. And, and, and now we have been this, we've been connected to God. We, we have this beautiful, vibrant relationship with God in the book of Genesis. We're, we're, we're walking through the garden. What's so cool about this is this doesn't look like a motor, does it? It's not pistons going, working really hard. And that's how your relationship with God is designed to be. Power comes from proximity to God. Not from work, work, work. Let me just work, work, work. Proximity to God. That's how you're designed. But the scriptures will go on and they'll, they'll tell us something really painful. It says there's, there's this massive problem. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 1 will say this. It says, Behold, the hand of the, the Lord is, is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it, it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation from you and God. Your, your sins have separated you from God. The Bible makes it really clear. Every single one of us have sinned. When you say, God, I'm going to live my life on my own. I don't need you. That's what sin is. I'm going to live independent of you. You're separated from the power source. And that's the reality that we we live in apart from God. We're, We're separated from the power source. But isn't there beautiful news in the scriptures? Scriptures make it so clear. It's beautiful. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5 and 6 says, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. And that is Jesus who paid a ransom for us all. And so what God does, he says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send my son from his, his throne in heaven. He's the one mediator. Mediator is one who makes a way. The middleman. He says, I'm going to send him from the throne of heaven. He's going to humble himself. He's become a man, and we've read through the book of Luke. We've studied the book of Luke. It's been so incredible to see how Jesus has come, not to, to Jerusalem. He went to this, this small little town born in Bethlehem, raised in, in Nazareth, even spent some time in Egypt, fleeing. For, it was incredible, the humility of Jesus. 
And he descends from the throne of heaven. And he works, 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 works. We don't reach up to God. God comes to us. And he comes and he's the middleman. And the middle point of that is, is when he's hanging on the cross. And he's doing the last great effort to make the way. The redemption that that woman Anna prayed for. And he's working and he, he pays the price and he dies. And we're then connected to Jesus if we place faith, trust in Jesus' life. We're connected because there is one mediator between God and man. And that is Jesus. And there's power. There's, there's power at that moment when you place faith in Jesus, when you're connected to Jesus. The Bible says that's, that the power is made available to you. The Holy Spirit seals us. We are connected with God through Jesus. It's, it's incredible. You know, when Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, he had to work really hard and, and took a long time to figure out the, the right component to, to act as that filament. And God says, my perfect, my, my prized creation, mankind. When I made man, I said, that's good, that's good, that's good. But man, now the man's made very good. I have found the perfect component through which my power can flow. I have made man. And how incredible will it be? Because God knew your sins before he created. He knew you were going to struggle. He knew you were going to fall. He knows all things. And he did all of this knowing that he was going to have the opportunity to display his grace. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to do something incredible. I'm going to take this massive power of mine and I'm going to, I'm going to show it through just a, a weak little vessel, humanity. It's kind of like the atomic bomb in a sense. Anybody want to be an atomic bomb? I mean, you want to be powerful, massive power in this atoms microscopic that's what God does Thomas Edison found carbon God says I've created you for the very purpose of my power to flow through you and I've made a way when you disconnected yourself from me and you couldn't come crawling back to me I came to you through the man Jesus that we have studied and, and just admired his incredible life I've come back to you and I've made the way so that you're power that is so weak and so frail. We, remember we looked at that human weakness in the life of Peter? You're just weak. And he says, yeah, but, but I'm going to show my power through you. I, I'm going to do something incredible. Well, Josh, what about when I mess up? What about, what about when I make mistakes? Has anybody ever done this with an extension cord? You're taking it and you made a knot just to make sure just to make sure nobody trips on it. And when we trip, we mess up, we make mistakes, it doesn't come undone. You know what I'm talking about? Here's what, here's what Jesus says in John chapter 10. Knowing that we're going to struggle, knowing that we're going to doubt, does God still love me because I make mistakes? He says this, he says, in John chapter 10, he says, no one can snatch you out of my hands. He says, let me just make sure you hear that. Let me add a little more emphasis. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hands either. I and the Father are one. When the Bible repeats something, God is saying, listen, you better hear this. You cannot lose your salvation if you trust it in Jesus. It doesn't matter how bad you failed. He says, you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose that relationship with God that has been made for you through Jesus. Can't lose it. Relationship is always there. It doesn't matter how bad me, let's go back to my dad, how bad me and my dad fought when I was a kid. It doesn't matter. He's always my dad, whether you like it or not. Always your dad. 
Relationship can't be broken because it's contingent upon God. But you know what can be broken? Fellowship. Your fellowship with God can be broken. It can be shut off. We still connected to the power? Is it still available to you? Absolutely. Fellowship is contingent upon you. Fellowship is when you sin and you say, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm going to continue to live like, like I'm on my own. I'm going to live like I used to live. I'm not going to shine. James talks about, you know, there's, there's a sin of doing nothing. For him who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it for him, it's sin. Some of you, your fellowship is broken because you're doing nothing. You've got this power made available to you. Jesus has paid this incredible price, and you're doing nothing. with That sin doesn't just have to be these sins of, of commission, these things that you've done that separate you from God, or you feel like that. No. There's sins of doing nothing, and you're not shining the way he's designed you to, and your fellowship with God is broken, and you're not shining, but you still have that power. It's right there made available to you. And some of us today, what we need to do is we need to confess to God our sin of doing nothing. God, you have just gone an incredible distance. You've paid an incredible price on the cross for me. And I'm just, thank you, God, now I'm going to live my own life the way I used to live. Maybe you just need to confess to him. God is saying, I've made you for the very purpose of, of shining, of displaying my glory. And let me just tell you something. This is when my faith came alive. And I deeply believe that's when your faith is going to come alive. I was this guy for a long time. I mean, there was a moment that I gave my life to Jesus and, and things really, really changed. and It was really powerful and the light was on. And then eventually I started kind of living as if, yeah, yeah, God's, yeah, I love God. He's, he's there. He's definitely there. But I'm telling you, my faith really came alive when I started to do something, and some of you need to do something, some of you need to act, you need to take that step of faith so that the power of God can, can flow through you. Otherwise, you're just receiving, 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 and you're saying, why is this, this isn't working, this doesn't feel right, it shouldn't feel right, you're a light bulb sitting on the mantle. You're not doing what you're designed to do. The power of God is not flowing through you the way he's designed you for his power to flow through you. I'll never forget, I was, I was 17 year, years old. This is a part of my, my story. And so some of you have heard it before on a personal level. I was 17 years old, and I had grown up in the church. I gave my life to Jesus at a young age. By the grace of God, I was able to kind of have a Daniel testimony. And I, I remember hearing one guy came to my church one time. He had a pinstripe suit on, and he wrapped up this big podium, and he was huge. He says, my name is Tony. I said, yeah, of course your name's Tony. And he goes, and I used to be a mobster. And he tells us this awesome testimony about how he was connected to crime and, and was involved with murders. And I, and I don't know, that's not really awesome, is it? But anyhow, it was powerful. And I thought, man, my testimony is so lame. It's so lame. And I made the mistake of telling somebody. And they said, no, no, no. You've been saved from a lot of stuff, Josh. I'm telling you, the stuff that's in my head because of things I did in the past, even though they're forgiven, it's there. It's a struggle. You don't want to be Tony. Praise God that you're Josh. Some of you are Tony. Some of you are Josh's. 
wherever you're at, be thankful for where you're at. But I'm telling you, so I, I, I continued on, and, 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 and I, I did. I gave my life to Jesus, and, and I, was, I was walking with him, but I, w- I was receiving, receiving, and coming to church, and doing what you're doing right now. And, and yet something was lacking until I was 17 years old. This guy came up to me. His name was Nick, and he said, Josh, you're like the only Christian guy I know. Let's get together and pray. I'm like, all right. Yeah, I guess that's a good thing for Christians to do is to pray, huh? And so we got together and we started to pray. He said, do you know any? I said, yeah, actually, I know this other undercover Christian. And I know one more undercover Christian. And we got, we got four guys together and we started to pray. We were all 17 years old. And we said, God, why don't, would you do something through us, in us, and in our school? And we just prayed and prayed and prayed all summer long. We'd meet and pray and eat. That's a good combination. And then we started praying at our school every single Thursday. We would pray like crazy with as many people as we could invite. And then we were praying ourselves every single day together before school. And the people said, are you you're doing this beyond Thursday? Well, let us come. They started to come and they started to pray with us every single day. And we, we had close to 100 people praying every single day before school. And, and some of them didn't even know what they were praying about. They just saw a lot of people praying. We were praying, God, use us, use us, use us. And, and, and about a month into school, we had this idea. We said, okay, football's big where we live. So why don't we do this? Why don't we host the football bonfires. Now, the football bonfires were where people came after the football games and they got wasted. And we're like, we'll host it. And the guy, Nick, who came to me, he came to me because he was a brand new Christian, just started following Jesus. And so the year before, he was, he was one of the guys wasted. So he said, we'll throw out these flyers. I'm like, that sounds good. And uh, they're not going to want me to be hosting this thing because they know it'll be a dry party. And, and so Nick said, we'll throw out these flyers everywhere. Everybody come. And, and everybody came. We put on the flyer. Everything's provided. So nobody, nobody brought, brought beer. And, and everybody came to this party. And they're standing around. This is lame. What's going on? And then that first bonfire, Nick stands up and says, Yo, I want to tell everybody about what happened in my life. And he starts sharing the story of Jesus. Another week I stood up. Hey, let me tell you guys about Jesus. Another week one of the other guys stood up. And it was all the home games. Guys stood up and shared about what Jesus had done in their life. And we just saw people coming to Jesus. One of the greatest images that will be burned into my mind forever is seeing a few linebackers laid prostrate on the ground, sobbing like babies. Because they realized their sin and their need for Jesus. And I remember seeing that saying, I think this is what the power of God looks like when it's flowing through us. It was incredible. We kept praying and praying and praying. We had the senior talent show, you know, and talent show rolls around. And, and this one kid wearing all black, long hair covering one eye, playing some Leonard Skinner on his guitar. Rocking out. And then a few other girls get up and they sing a Spice Girls song together. And then me and a a couple of my friends got up and and I was just starting to learn how to play guitar. And so I'm picking along, playing some music, playing a worship song at a a public school. And and I remember like looking at my fingers the whole time and almost towards the end of the song, I thought it might be good to look up and see how they're responding. I mean, I was nervous to look up. Maybe tomatoes are going to hit me in the face. And I look up. And over half of our school had their hands in the air worshiping Jesus. And that's when it hit. I mean, it really hit. This is what revival looks like. This is what it looks like when God uses weak things and he allows his power to flow through them. And it breaks my heart to think that there are many of us in this room who have no idea what it looks like for the power of God to flow through us. 
And we think about the power of God that conquered the grave as something that was for back then, it was for the end of the book of Luke, but has no bearing on us today. And I want to tell you, it has complete bearing on you today. And maybe your faith feels dull and stagnant because you're doing nothing. The sin of omission, the sin of doing nothing. Your relationship with God might be there because you've trusted in Jesus. But some of us, we need to start here. We need to start confessing our sins. Say, God, I've done nothing with the power that you've given me. I've done nothing with what you've done for me on the cross. I want to go and live a life that displays the power of Jesus. And if we all do that, it's only the beginning. We're at the end of the Easter season, but we're at the beginning of a life of power where you're shining and you're doing exactly what you're designed to do. My prayer is that you would have the privilege of experiencing the power of God flowing through you. My prayer is that parents, our children, will see the power of God. People come up with all these reasons, all these articles in my pastoral world of why children aren't coming back to church. And they say, well, the children's ministry wasn't great or the music needs to be better or the environments need to be cleaner and come up with all these ideas. I think it it's really comes down to one thing. They see no power. They see nothing that causes them to scratch their head and to say, this is different. This is incredible. What is this? I'm praying that my kids will experience the power of Jesus now so that when they grow up, they want to continue to live like that. They don't want to miss out on what their parents experienced. They want it too. And I pray that you want it. I pray that you will long for the power of God and know today that it's made available to you. You will receive power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us your power. Your scripture says that you're not served by human hands as though you needed anything. You don't need us. You blinded the apostle Paul on the side of the road and that's how you saved him. That's how you got a hold of his life. You didn't need me or any of us to go tell Paul. You just did it. But you call us to experience the power of your spirit flowing through us. You invite us into something you don't even need us for. Thank you. Thank you that you could show up at the 10 o'clock news and tell everybody you're alive. But you said, I want to use people so that they can be the filament, so that they can experience the power of God flowing through them. And so Christians, if you're in this room and, and you say, you know what, I don't, I don't know the power of God. I haven't experienced that beyond my salvation. I know Jesus was powerful to, to save me and to conquer the grave. And I trust in that. But I haven't seen the power of God displayed in my life. Maybe you need to confess to him. Maybe you need to, like we see throughout the book of Acts, pray for power and then you go and you proclaim and then the power of God is poured out. And so I invite you to that as we respond throughout the remainder of our gathering. For everyone else in here, if, if you're not a Christian, 
My question to you is, have you first been connected to the power source? There has been a separation between you and God because of your sin. But be reminded of that scripture. It says that his arm is not too short to save. You are not too far gone. It is his desire to save you, to reconnect you, to right relationship with him. He has made the way. You have to place faith. That is trust. I'm trusting my life in you, God. Because I recognize I've sinned. I've I've walked away from you. But you came for me. You died for me. And you resurrected to life. And that power is now available to me. The power over sin and Satan and death is available to me. And I want it. And so I turn from sin. I turn to trust completely in you. Knowing that when I fail, no one can snatch me out of your hand. Thank you. And if that's you, and you've given your life to Jesus, please let us know. We would love to celebrate that. That would so encourage us. So on your connection card, you can tell us in just a moment. You can come talk to us afterwards and tell us we'd be thrilled. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the truth of the scriptures. From beginning to end, how you move. We want to see your power displayed today as it was back then. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.